You're okay, Jerry. Yeah, this weather, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fourth, you couldn't have me all at current power rankings at number four. You have to have them. Definitely have them at number one. Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Now then, you're welcome back. We're going to turn to boxing, as has been much publicised at this stage. Katie Taylor's homecoming fight in Dublin is a sellout May 20th, and it's full steam ahead. There are, though, uh, some tensions behind the scenes, it would seem, and they've been borne out on the undercard. So Katie Taylor is fighting Chantel Cameron. Uh, Cameron is currently uh, defending herself, or certainly an accusation, that she had another fighter, Ellie Scottney, trained by Shane McGuigan, removed from the undercard, and there is uh, much consternation, it would seem. Very happy to say Gavin Casey at the 42 is with us. Good evening. How are you, Joe? Uh, very well. So, they've both been talking publicly. Uh, this this initially started with Ellie Scottney, trained by Shane McGuigan, uh, coming out publicly and saying, you know, she was due to fight for the IBF Super Bantamweight title. She is uh, distraught, really, to have found out that she's been removed from the undercard and she has come out publicly to point the finger very much at Katie Taylor's opponent, Chantel Cameron. This is your fault. You engineered this. I am disgusted. Yeah, that's the crux of it. I think it is a big personal blow to Scottney for obvious reasons in that it's a world title fight that now has to be rescheduled and there's no official confirmation yet as to when that fight will take place it's a blow as well I should point out to her opponent Trinika Johnson who was coming over from the States and obviously um, would have made arrangements and preparation time to preparation for the 20th of May just as Scotney did but I think on a on a personal level for Scotney specifically she spent her entire life looking up to Katie Taylor I know it meant a lot to her um, maybe six months ago to have met her in person and the idea of fighting on this, uh, you know, like definitive night in Katie Taylor's career and to be fighting for a world title herself for the first time on that show meant an awful lot to her as well. So she probably feels as though she's had the rug pulled from under her. And as you point out, she has laid the blame at the feet of Chantel Cameron and in Cameron's statement, she hasn't really dismissed the blame so much as tried to justify why she made the decision that she made to, um, I guess, implore the promoters to remove Scotney from the card. She insists that there's absolutely nothing personal between the fighters themselves. It comes down to their respective teams and the fact that Cameron used to train with Scotney's current trainer, Shane McGuigan, and she used to be managed by the McGuigan family and their Cyclone promotions very publicly fell out with them in uh, 2019, parted company with them, uh, became advised by MTK Global at that time. And I guess Cameron's line of thinking is that she doesn't want to spend time in the presence of Shane McGuigan and whoever else from, uh, from that family or from that company on fight week, on the biggest fight week of her uh, professional career. So it's a little bit unseemly. Mm. Um, probably been poorly managed from a communication standpoint as well to be totally honest and yeah other than that it's just another day in the wild west <laughs> yeah i mean it really is so cameron as you said in response to scotney coming out and saying it's due to Chantel cameron and her manager who have insisted that i'm not allowed to be on the undercard because of who trains me shane mcguigan 
Cameron's defence initially she talked about the harassment and the threats and the, and the witch hunt which has followed Scotney's accusation and she even said I, I, I do feel sorry for I, I, that Ellie feels the way she does but then she cited basically her own mental health and talked about not wanting to feel any intimidation when she's at the three arena that she's already the very much the away fighter and so she said I'm sorry this impacts Ellie it's not about her and then she says there's an, that non-disclosure agreement so I can't describe how horribly I was treated. So in effect there, what she's dancing around is, I don't want to see Shane McGuigan at the three arena is how I would read that. Yeah, I actually think it may just be a case of an athlete looking for fractional game gains and just making sure that the 0.1% are in order for the biggest night of her life so far. This is a fight that Chantal Cameron has been calling for for almost the entirety of her professional career. This is the moment towards which she has built for the last five years. And I guess to try and contextualize it for people who haven't been present for a fight week, it's not just that she doesn't want to share a card with Ellie Scottney because Shane McGuigan is in Scottney's corner. There are going to be situations and events in which they'll cross paths. And clearly the very side of Shane McGuigan is, is something that Chantel Cameron refuses to contend with on this given week. Um, I'm pretty sure, to be honest, that they would have uh, stood at opposite sides of the hall. Uh, you know, like I don't know that they necessarily would have overlapped to the point of having to have conversations with each other or, or in such a way that they would have interfered with each other. But look, Cameron's subjective experience, at least this is what her statement says, and at least this is what her statement said when she left the McGuigans as well, was a very negative one. And they ended on extremely bad terms. At the time, she made quite serious allegations against Cyclone Promotions in relation to having to chase money from them, etc. The existence, I suppose the alleged existence of a non-disclosure agreement between them would suggest that when Cameron at the time was considering um, legal advice, and as, and as I understand it, considering taking a legal case uh, much in the same way that Carl Frampton did, and equally Cyclone took one against him two years prior, like, I guess you could deduce from the NDA that maybe they came to some arrangement outside of court. I don't believe it ever reached court officially. So that's probably where they left it. Um, there was a period around that time in which Cameron didn't fight for 11 months. There were all sorts of complications in that year of her career, I would imagine, in the sense that she announced that she was splitting from the McWiggins, but she was still contracted to them uh, in a managerial contract. When she signed with MPK, quote unquote, it was probably not on paper as such. It certainly wasn't a managerial deal on paper because that would have been a breach of her contract with McWiggins. So the way MTK Global used to work their way around that and they did the same with Frampton was to say, we have signed an advisory deal rather than a, a management deal with Cameron. Um, so I guess from her point of view, does she want the hassle of just being around them? I guess not. Look, it's been laid plain in her statement. I would say that if she felt as though it was going to be a distraction or if it was going to inhibit her in some way, like let's deal with the prospect of it being a distraction firstly. I would say this now becomes a far bigger distraction or it, it creates a far bigger fuss than would have been the case had she just left it. And I'm not sure that uh, she necessarily thought it through as, as clearly as she might have. Certainly the statement 
almost contradicts itself in places and is is pretty poorly put together in my opinion so she's in a she's in the unfortunate situation now in which probably the majority of people who are following this story uh, have sided with Scotney and and sort of feel as though Cameron has handled it badly and I don't know I mean that's going to be the first time in which she'll feel that kind of pressure or scrutiny or you know bad will towards her so yeah I mean I'm not going to go as far as to say it's a situation of her own doing. There's clearly a, a troublesome history there, yeah. but I, I guess the last 24 hours haven't been ideal from her point of view either. Bigger picture, tickets went on pre-sale Monday, I think, and have been snatched up on general sale. In, I mean, judging by the angry tweets from lots of people who tried to get them in seconds, less than seconds, they range from 80 euro cheapest all the way up to 1500 VIP ringside. And they're all gone, as expected. 9,000 capacity was never going to meet demand. Yeah, it's an awful shame that they were so expensive. I guess it didn't matter in the end. That's a crude way of putting it. I suppose just from a business perspective, it didn't yeah. matter in the end in so far as it sold out very quickly. I'm sure it did matter to a lot of people who would have loved to have gone and weren't able to afford it. Uh, the reality of that situation, I guess, is that if it had been Pro Park, it was literally written on paper that tickets would have started at 40 euro and the complexion of that would have changed entirely. I know Brian Peters, Katie Taylor's manager, and I think Eddie Hearn were keen on having even full family sections in the stadium, family tickets discounted at a discounted rate and things like that. The reality of a, a 9,000 capacity arena is that if they are to make money on it, they have to hike up the prices. And it's probably no different than a major concert or any sort of major sporting event in which, you know, Ticketmaster take the brunt of it afterwards. <laughs> but it's just demand, isn't it? Um, and it just goes to show, I guess, the anticipation for this fight, for this event. It probably, I'd like to think that it would give Eddie Hearn second thoughts about the idea of not going to Croke Park. Um, if there had been a concern that Croke Park wouldn't sell out or that they wouldn't break that sort of threshold of 50 or 60,000 people to break even, maybe the speed with which these far more expensive tickets were snapped up might open the door down the line. Who knows? We're, what, five, six weeks away from the fight now? A two-weight undisputed world champion is the carrot and offer for both fighters. How do you see it as it quickly comes over the horizon? I have a suspicion that it might be one massive challenge too far for Katie Taylor, if I'm to be totally honest. But I said that as well ahead of the Serrano fight around this time last year, and she proved me wrong. And at that time, I genuinely didn't believe that my admiration for her as an athlete or my respect for her body of work could get any greater. And it did that night at Madison Square Garden. It was a privilege to be there and a privilege to see how she wheeled her way back into the contest after that fifth round. It is 12 months on. I'd understand if people at home kind of get sick of the idea of each fight now being the biggest fight of Katie Taylor's career or the defining night of her career, because that's what Serrano was. And Taylor herself outlined afterwards the reality to her that it was the biggest moment of her career so far. This, to me, is an even greater challenge. It's a, a younger, fresher, physically larger, physically stronger opponent, undefeated, hits hard, and Katie Taylor is 37 in the summer. Um, there's, the reality is it can't go on forever. The hope from the Irish point of view is that it can go on for one more night. And I do think she'll require absolutely everything we saw in Madison Square Garden and more if she's to get over the line this time around. And remind us on the weight situation, who's going up and who's going down? 
Taylor is going up. So she is the undisputed lightweight champion, which is 135 pounds. She's moving up to light welterweight where Cameron is the undisputed champion. That's 140 pounds. Five pounds is not a massive difference, I guess. The concern, even though Taylor has won a world title at 140 before, that was in 2019 against Christina Leonardo too. She walks around at probably 141, 142 pounds. There's no weight cut really involved in this for her. And you might think, well, that's convenient, surely. But if you're not cutting weight, like you're not rehydrating overnight, you're pretty much going to be the size you are at the weigh-in. Whereas Cameron will be cutting weight. And when she rehydrates, she's going to be significantly bigger when the fight rolls around. And she is going to have a massive physical advantage. There's no doubt about it. I think the winning and losing of the fight would be what kind of a fight actually plays out. If Taylor can stay on the outside and box expertly as she's done a thousand times, yeah, she gets the job done. But when you're 37 and when your calves are a little bit stiffer and your movement is prohibited a little bit after five or six rounds and you're in there with a bigger, stronger opponent, that's where the jeopardy is in this fight. And that's where the jeopardy was 11 months ago as well. Um, so with the clock ticking, I'm concerned, but yeah, I'm excited as well. I think yeah. regardless of all of this noise, it's going to be a special night. Yeah, it's because I, I think a lot of people might just uh, very casually think to themselves, well, I haven't really heard of Cameron. I've been here about Serrano all these years. It's Katie Taylor. It's Dublin. Of course, she's going to win. It does speak of, uh, it speaks to Taylor's integrity as an athlete that she hasn't done what I'm sure lots of people advised her to do, which is, uh, Katie, this is a homecoming. This is a celebration. Sell out whatever arena we need to sell out. Let's have a great night and take a fight that you're going to win. <laughs> uh, she is a touch mad in the best sense of the word. I think she's actually a lunatic in a very good way. Yeah, I, I think this is an absolutely insane fight for her to take for the reasons you've outlined there, Joe, in the sense that she could have sold out the three arena or I suppose any indoor arena in, in Ireland or the UK against an Omar opponent or against a sort of a mid-range opponent, some sort of top 10 contender if she wanted to. I mean, she pretty much did that in, what was it, November, December when she fought a, a sort of a stay busy fight in London, right? But she probably surprised her, well, I was going to say she surprised her team. They know full well what she's like. I guess she surprised Eddie Hearn with the rigor with which she called for this fight. When the Serrano rematch fell through it was Taylor who went on Instagram to put pressure on Hearn to make sure the homecoming took place. And the way she sweetened it for him was to call out Cameron. And they don't know that she's ever even actively called out another opponent before. But to call out an undefeated light welterweight champion, who to my mind and to the mind of people who follow the sport is probably her equal without being quite as good a boxer is her equal in terms of like overall ability was, uh, look, it's a sign of the woman that we've, we've watched and admired for what the bones are 15 years now and I, I genuinely believe that to beat Cameron would be a significant extent, extension to her legacy uh, like there are only so many more routes she can take in order to further herself at this point and I think this is one which would genuinely massively further the work that she has laid over the last 15 years and more it's um I would see it as being a bigger achievement even than beating Serrano if she was to do it. And she went into the Serrano fight as an underdog. So um, more power to her. And uh, I have to say, like, as you know, I cover the sport and you cover it objectively when you're there in, in the ring, right? Or excuse me, at ringside or just in the arena. But as an Irish sports fan, I'd love nothing more than if she was to win this and just walk away, you know, just right off into the sunset legacy more than secured. It's already secured. We know that. 
But I doubt that she will either way. You know, I, I still feel as though she believes there is road left to run. And I think sometimes it can feel a little bit unfair when she's asked about retirement at press conferences, whatever. People are probably accustomed to seeing her being around for so long that in the backs of their minds, the time must be coming where she walks away. And I think people have taken her to heart as well, not only in Ireland, but in the UK and in the boxing public, generally speaking, and they kind of want the best for her for the most part. So it's like, you know, it'd be great if you could get out with your legacy intact, but she doesn't think of it in those terms, really. I, I reckon it's going to take some sort of a, an American sitcom style intervention at some point with everybody she knows to tell her, listen, time is up and you'd be best walking away. But mm. She's got, yeah, I would say the biggest night of her professional career, yes, probably the biggest night of her career coming up in May. It's high stakes to lose in Dublin. I mean, you can't walk, can't walk away on that note. So it's, uh, it's, um, it's very significant. Can I, in the two minutes we have left, you mentioned the Wild West world that you're working in. Just uh, two different cases and each should be taken on their merits, but I suppose we're talking broadly about the same area, which is uh, prohibited substances found in boxers' systems. Connor Ben cleared of a failed drugs test uh, on account of eating too many eggs, it seems. The World Boxing Council absolved Connor Ben after ruling uh, there was a highly elevated consumption of eggs and that was considered a reasonable explanation for his adverse finding that the fertility drug uh, clompathine was found um, in his urine known to elevate testosterone levels and now more recently Amir Khan has been given a two year ban from all sports after he tested positive for banned substances uh, a substance rather singular following his fight with Kel Brook he's denied any wrongdoing he's 36 it was an anabolic uh, agent in his system he thinks it's possible that may have ended up there from shaking hands uh, with too many people Uh, I don't know what drug was in my system uh, I've never cheated in my life is what Amir Khan uh, says so there are two high profile failed tests certainly we can say that yeah they are and I'm yet to meet a boxer who has admitted wrongdoing really you know like it, it's always the case that they deny it they don't know how it got into their systems it's um, only the, only those guys themselves know the truth right but people will have their own suspicions and like you mentioned there that the WBC have cleared Conor Ben. That's an irrelevance, Joe, to be totally honest. It's not up to the WBC to clear anybody. They're a sanctioning body. They're not a governing body. Like Conor Ben, by right, should be cleared by, say, UCAT or the British Boxing Board of Control. Uh, the WBC are a joke of an organization. In all and and you, UCAT don't accept the he ate too many eggs rationale, do they? No. So, like, he's been cleared, you know, I mean... You might as well be like, you might as well be cleared by your brother or your mother at that point. Like, as in, it, it's it's a total irrelevance. Uh, the American one. My issue with that, apart from the obvious, is why is it coming out a year after the fight? Like, this is where, you know, this is where it can be frustrating. Like, it can actually be dispiriting to follow the sport to cover it. Like, the, the fight happened a year ago. He lost the fight and he maintains well I lost you saw me I wasn't good how could I have been cheating that's yes. nonsense as well yeah. you know what I mean like, but I, but then what, what really can I say apart from the usual which is that like the sport needs to be so much better in this department but it won't it won't get better we know that 
So it's actually, it's, it feels sometimes like a waste of time talking about it, even though it's unbelievably serious. Mm. Like you just have to keep talking about it until we're blue in the face in the hope that somebody comes along, some white knight sets up a global governing body and monitors it that way. Won't happen. Mm. On that cheery note, our time is done. Always a pleasure. Yeah, thanks very much. Gam Casey, who covers boxing, amongst other things, for the 42.